Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, come on. All right, we're week two on our Leap series, and I'm really excited to get to share with you this morning. But before that, there's just something that I do want to mention to you. Uh, It's come to our attention, uh, really in the last couple of months, that for um, a few of us, car parking has become a real problem here at City. Uh, We were really surprised, uh, which we probably shouldn't have been, but we've uh, heard numerous stories now of people coming to church on a Sunday morning, being unable to get a car park, and going home again. And of course, that is a problem. Uh, I was talking with Pastor Luke this week, and uh, he was saying that, you know, they, they generally talk that there, are, that there are two key conditions that are important for a church to stay healthy and thriving and reaching their local community. You've got to have a surplus of seats, and you've got to have a surplus of car parks. And currently, our car parks are sitting at about 120% of capacity. Um, so as a result, we've, been, we've just started knocking around the possibility of going to a second morning service and it's it's not even in the planning stage we're just really thinking about it and so we just wanted to put it out to you our congregation uh, and just get some feedback is car parking an issue for you has it been a problem Um, we would so love it if you uh, have any feedback to come back uh, to myself uh, positive or negative you can email me you can stick it on a connect card you can catch up with me in the cafe today Um, but we're looking at the possibility of going to a couple of morning services uh, instead, um, if that would relieve our car parking issue, it means we have to make the decision to go to slightly smaller services. Um, we'd probably run at maybe a nine and an eleven. Nine might be a coffee-only service. Um, eleven would be a lunch, you know, in the cafe service. Uh, lots of details we haven't worked out at all yet, but we're asking for your feedback on that. Um, for your thoughts on that would be really helpful for us to establish if a problem really does exist. We think it possibly does, and if this is a viable solution. So. Come back to us, eh? we'd really love to hear what you guys think. That would be fantastic. Also, if you have any uh, praise reports from last week, uh, last week we, uh, a number of us took, a, took some leaps of faith and it was so great to hear, Andrew, what you shared this morning. Thank you for that. Really excited. Uh, and so if any of you have got followed through on that and, and done that this week and you've got a great story to, to share, we'd love it if you could just write it down on that, on that Connect card that's on your seat and put it in the offering bag when it comes past. Uh, it'd be a real encouragement to us. We've been praying uh, all week. Uh, we prayed as a staff. I've prayed several times uh, over those Connect cards that came in last week. Just really believing God with you for a leap of faith, a big step forward in your journey with Him. And I'm sure there's been some great things happening. So that's awesome. So this morning, we are going to look at part two of this. And I want to challenge you again on some leaps of faith that perhaps you need to take this morning. You know, last week we looked at the problem that we so often face is that we find it difficult sometimes, if not impossible, to move and change from one pattern of thinking to another pattern of thinking, from one way of doing to another way of doing, especially if we need to make a change and people are saying to us, hey, you should do this, you should try this, this will be really good for you. The problem is if, if we can't rationally work it through ourselves, we often get stuck it's like there's this obstacle in our way, and because of our rational thinking, we can't, we can't get to that place. And we talked last week about, about Lessing's Ditch, if you remember. This, this philosophical, this psychological thing that gets in the way. And, and then we talked about the great Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, a theologian and a writer, who first introduced this idea of a leap of faith. That sometimes, uh, very rationally, the right thing to do in life is to take a leap of faith, because there are some things we can't get to without a leap. Uh, so last time we talked about relationships, 
and the leaps of faith we need to take in relationships. Today I want to talk about church life. Church life. Our Christian walk, our experience as a community, experience in our services. Uh, What are some of the things that we can get stuck at in our church life? And what are some of the leaps that perhaps we may need to make if we're to continue to push on, follow Jesus into all that he has for us? You know, I remember uh, during the, the, the move of the Holy Spirit in the late 90s, which came out of the Pensacola revival, and it was a pretty extraordinary time. Hands up if you were in church in the late 90s and, and were a part of some of, of that wildness that went on. I mean, you know, people would start laughing and they couldn't stop. And I'm not just talking for minutes or hours. Uh, I'm talking some people couldn't stop laughing for days. I mean, it was the craziest thing. We had uh, people that would be prayed for and would fall down under that experience of the Holy Spirit um, so that they struggled to stand um, or walk or sometimes even sit in the case of our own Pastor Maggie Lawson. And um, that was always a wonderful moment in the service. You could tell when the Holy Spirit was really coming in power because Pastor Margaret Lawson would just keel off her seat onto the floor and it was just like all on. It was just the craziest thing. Um, at every service we would have, or it felt like every service, we would have 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 people getting prayer ministry and all laying out on the floor. We'd do Saturday training for prayers, but we had to do specific training on catching, how to catch people on a Sunday morning. There were entire teams that were just dedicated to catching people. We had these cloths called modesty cloths that were like kind of slightly small tablecloths. We had piles of them and we were trained in how to use these because when people went down under the power of God, shirts and skirts and all sorts of stuff would go awry. So people would race around laying. I mean, anyone remember any of this craziness? Like, I know, it was an extraordinary time. And what was fascinating in all of this, I was was an intern at the time. And um, boy, this made no sense to me. And I, and I was there, and I was, like, I was catching, and I was, I was doing all this stuff. And yet, I, I, never, I never really experienced it for myself until really near the end of it. I really struggled rationally to work out what was going on. People would say to me, Mike, you've just got to receive it. You've just got to enter in. I had no idea what that meant. And, uh, and as a result, I, I never really fell down, not until some other things happened much later in the journey. Uh, I, I never fell down under the power of God. I never, experienced, I never laughed. I, I really felt ripped off because it looked like a heap of fun, right? And yet for me, there was this rational obstacle in my head and I couldn't or wouldn't make the leap into that place. And it was really challenging. You know, when, when any one of us in our church life, when we can't find the way to make a change that seems to be something that God is wanting or doing in us, when our logical steps don't work, then I want to suggest this morning that there are times, regular times, when we need to take a leap of faith. And if anyone's interested, I'm more than happy at some point to tell the end of that story when God literally got me taking, it's a very embarrassing story, uh, leaps of faith, but something radical changed within me. So we're going to talk today about your church life. And we're going to talk about some leaps of faith that I believe that we regularly come to, that we need to be willing to make. These are things that we can't necessarily rationally work our way into. And so sometimes you've just got to go, you know what? I'm just going to, in faith, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to step, I'm just going to leap into it. And the first one I want to talk about this morning is the leap of discipline. The leap of discipline. You know, it's funny in James chapter 1, you know, James says, Consider it pure joy 
when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance, he says. And this perseverance thing is really important. And he ties perseverance in with maturity. You can't get to maturity unless you learn to persevere. And the thing about perseverance is that the mechanism that enables us to persevere, to keep doing things we don't necessarily feel like doing, the mechanism is discipline. And discipline and discipleship come from the same root word, the same idea. You, you cannot become a disciple without some discipline in your life. Why is that? Because again and again, you'll come up against things that are necessary for you to do. Steps of integrity, steps of courage, steps of faith. That, that sometimes you just don't want to take. If we're really honest, I just can't be bothered sometimes in these things. And yet to follow Jesus means we have to do that. How do we take steps we don't feel like doing? It's called discipline. It's called making yourself do what you know you need to do even though you don't want to do it. Discipline. You know, there was this one time when Peter and Jesus kind of had this kind of an argument, really, about the future and what was going on. And, and I'm sure we know of this particular point in Matthew 16. But, but Jesus says this interesting thing. He says this to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up the cross and follow me. In the Amplified, it puts it like this. If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of, forget himself and his own interests, and take up his cross and follow me, cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living and, if need be, in dying also. See, Jesus is saying that following me means... disciplining yourself to what I am doing regardless of what you want to do. That is what discipleship means. That is what we signed up for. Why? Because he is the one we want to be like. But growing into that sometimes takes us outside of our comfort zone. Sometimes outside of our fun zone. But becoming like him is the only way to be the person we want to be. It's about persevering, keeping at things, developing habits in our attitudes and our behaviors. You know, extraordinary character comes from ordinary habits practiced with uncommon perseverance. When I was at university, we started a university ministry in our church. And um, it kind of roughly came within a, a much larger national umbrella ministry and the guy who was running that came down to train me and train a whole bunch of our leaders and we had this whole weekend and it was absolutely incredible but I remember one particular moment in in all of the, the things that went on which so got to the heart of this issue for me he said this to all of us leaders he said what is one thing that you are not currently doing but that if you did it consistently and excellently would make a huge difference in your life and he paused and we all sat there and and, you know I mean things came to mind right I'm sure things are coming to mind for some of us now and we wrote those things down and then he said this if what you've written down is something that you're not currently doing but that if you did do consistently habitually and excellently would make a huge difference in your life why aren't you doing it 
I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, really, isn't it? If there's something out there that you could be doing that would make a huge difference in your life and you know that and you feel it, but you're not doing it, what's the problem? I'll tell you what the problem is. You haven't made the leap of discipline. That's what the problem is. And then he challenged us to make that thing our goal, to be disciplined in it daily, to force ourselves to engage in that particular process. Because in doing that, we grew and began to see the fruitfulness in our lives that God wanted us to have. Maybe for you, it's setting a goal, a small goal in Bible reading. Maybe it's setting yourself a small goal in prayer. Maybe you need to get out and walk for 30 minutes a day just to get yourself into a better health space. Maybe it's an hour of study of the Bible every week. Something, whatever it is for you, I don't know what that is, but whatever it is for you, sometimes we have to make the leap of discipline if we're going to get in to a new season of growth. Is that a leap you need to make today? The second leap I want to talk about this morning is the leap of participation. You know, you were made to participate in life. We see this in everything. I mean, have you thought about on the day of Pentecost when the tongues of fire came in the upper room? They landed on everybody. Why did the tongues of fire not just land on the apostles or not just land on the, the prophets in the room? It's because everybody in that room was called by heaven to participate. When they spilled out into the streets, we read, uh, they were all speaking in tongues and praising God. Why, why were there not just a couple with the gift of tongues speaking in tongues? Because they were all called by heaven to participate in what the Spirit was doing in their lives. And sometimes we find ourselves in our church life not participating in something that God has called us to be participating in. And, you know, in, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, uh, Peter, he, uh, he says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. And we all love the promises of God. He's given us these very great and precious promises so that through them, what? You may participate in the divine nature. God promises his presence, his provision, so that you will grow, so that your lives will make a difference, so that through those, we can participate in God, in his character, in his nature. You know, the more someone becomes like Jesus in their character, in their nature, I'm telling you, the more influential they are in the world, the more of a difference that they are making in powerful ways. Every one of our goal here, is or should be, to in some way to become like Jesus. We're called, we're predestined to become conformed to the image of God's Son. That is, you know, we sometimes get hung up on this whole predestination thing. If you go through Scripture, we're only predestined to do one thing. If you look at predestination in Scripture, there's only one thing we're predestined to do, and it's to become conformed to the image of Jesus. We're to walk in His steps. We're called to participate in the divine nature. Three things that you need to take a leap of participation into, perhaps. The first one is this. We need to participate in worship. And you can't think your way into this. You've just got to take that leap. You've got to make a decision to fully participate whenever worship is going on. Whether that's here in our services, or whether that's in your small group, and you've got someone who's, who's learned two chords on a guitar, and they're playing a song that has three chords, and, uh, you know, it's, it's maybe not going so great, and you can sit back and, and criticize, or you can just leap into it and go for it anyway. God is just fine with two chords out of three. His presence will turn up if you will participate in worship. 
He will be there in that moment. You know, in Psalm chapter 33, verses 1 to 3, David is talking, and you can go through Psalms and see his attitude and perspective on worship a hundred times. But this is what he says in Psalm 33. He says, sing joyfully to the Lord. Not just sing, but sing joyfully to the Lord. It's a decision that you make, you righteous. It is fitting, he says. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. So we're talking about bass guitar, obviously, electric guitar. I mean, you know, it's, it's obvious what these are. Uh, sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout for joy. Shout for joy, he says. <laughs> it sounds a bit rowdy to me. It sounds a bit noisy, a little bit disorganized. But David said, no, this is fitting. To praise him joyfully, to, to sing and to shout. This is what he's called us to. You know, just last week, I watched a Liverpool game. Uh, of footy. Any Liverpool supporters here? Just out of interest, Liverpool's an English football team. Thank you. Thank you. Some of you are saved and going to heaven. I'm just telling you right now, going to heaven. Yes, you are. So I was watching this Liverpool game uh, on, on TV, and it was, a, it was a pretty tough game, you know, and Liverpool top of the table, obviously, by a mile a season. It's, it's completely incredible. And right literally in the last few seconds of the game, uh, a guy who some of you will know called Mo Salah uh, scored this unbelievable goal. And I'm sitting on the couch there, and I just... I couldn't help myself. I just shouted with joy. Like, yeah, it was incredible. It was amazing. Like this. And I think, I think Liz may have dropped something in the kitchen at around about that time, which I'm not taking any responsibility for. But you know what? Here's the, here's the reality. If I will shout for Liverpool, I will shout for Jesus. And if you will shout for the All Blacks or the Silver Ferns, or if you'll shout for whatever it is, who it is in your life, I'm telling you, you should be shouting for Jesus. I'm just saying. Participate with all you have. Lift your hands. Clap. Clap loudly. Uncomfortably loud. It's a great thing to do. Focus with all your energy on singing to the Lord. Lift. Uh, let your behavior and worship be appropriate to the one you are worshiping. Oh, Lord. Yeah. You're awesome. You're awesome. And I'm like, man, this is worship. And it's really important for us to realize this, that worship is not the warm-up. Worship is actually the main event. Worship is the main event. In fact, the preaching is really just developing us so we can worship better. And obviously, worship is not just four songs on a Sunday morning. It's so much more than that. It's, it's singing in the car when Reem is playing and something beautiful is going on. It's singing in your small group. It's taking a moment in your quiet time just to adore Him with everything that you have. Worship is so much more, but I'll tell you what, it starts here. This is a great place to practice it. And we need to learn to participate. And, and I'm going to labor this for a moment because worship actually changes our experience of life. Worship has the power to literally shift your emotional state. Like it's an incredible, incredible thing. It will bring you into the presence of God. It will enable you to, to find yourself in a completely different emotional space than you were when you started. You'll feel better. Now, we know that, and science is slowly catching up. You know, in the fields of psychotherapy and psychology, they now tell us that the way to master and shift our emotional state from one to another involves three primary mechanisms. Those primary mechanisms are, number one, what we focus on. Number two, it, it involves our physiology, which is influenced by what we do with our body. And then number three, the story that we tell ourselves or the internal narrative. Now, why is worship powerful? 
It's powerful because of what God always knew, which we're just starting to realize that all three of those mechanisms are activated when we come and we worship God. You know, when we come and we sing, the very first thing we do is we shift our focus. We shift our focus off our problem, the work issue that happened yesterday, the frustration I've got with that colleague, the the disagreement I just had with one of my kids, or maybe just that I'm feeling so bad about ourselves. What's the first thing we do in worship? We come and we shift our focus on Jesus. We shift our focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We shift our focus on the one who rides on the storm, the one who, who, who parted the waters of the Red Sea, who saved uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We shift our focus on the one to whom nothing is impossible and who is working for us in all things. That immediately, immediately shifts our emotional state. So we come in and we start to sing and we shift our focus on him. Secondly, we stand, we get up, we start clapping, we put our shoulders back, we open our mouth, we lift our head. You know, a fascinating study, and I can't remember if it was from Harvard or it was from Yale, uh, but there's a TED talk about it. Uh, a fascinating study they did on a bunch of people that they were, do, they were doing, uh, looking at the power of the way we stand and position ourselves to our performance in interview situations. And I, I won't bore you with the whole study, but it's fascinating. But here's what they found. They found 10 minutes of standing in either a, what they call a power pose, like a strong Superman kind of this, versus 10 minutes of sitting huddled in a fetal position, that alone, without having any understanding of what, it, what is going on, completely changes a person's blood chemistry, and that completely changes how they feel emotionally. And we come into worship, and we shift our focus onto Him, and we stand up and we lift our hands, and I tell you, if we could take blood tests from you before our worship service and after our worship service, which I promise we're not going to do, okay, uh, but if we did, your blood chemistry would be totally different. Your cortisol levels would be totally different. Your, your, your adrenaline levels would be totally different. And God knew this the whole time. And he said, stand up and sing and shout for joy. Why? Because you will feel better. You will find yourself in a more resourceful state. You'll be able to find answers you're looking for just by doing that if you'll come and praise me. And then the third thing is, is that we sing and we sing a story, a narrative about our lives that maybe is really different from what's going on. You know, some of us, I don't know about you, but I find myself, in more, and my story is, I'm struggling. My story is, this is not going well. My story is, I'm not a good man. And my story is, I'm not a great dad. Uh, my story is, uh, things aren't looking good for me. That's the honest truth. And you know, when I come and praise and I sing stories about the God who is working for me in all situations, the God who won the victory and he made that victory available to me, the God who was for me and if he is for me, who can be against me? And I start singing a story that is my story, then that too shifts everything about my experience of life. But here's the thing. It only works if you participate. So if you come in to worship and you're having a bad day and you stand there and you, and you fold your arms and you're like not liking it and then not liking the sound levels and the guitarist, I don't like him and I'm not doing this and, and you're going to stand that way through the next half an hour, I'm telling you, no, you're not going to feel any better. <laughs> but you know what? If you'll just take that leap. All right, I feel like an idiot. All right, I'm clearly an idiot now. Jesus, I love you. I'm telling you, give yourself three minutes and you're going to be a different person in a different space with a different set of internal resources that God makes available to you and everything will change. Amen. Participate. Secondly, the second thing we've got to participate in is we've got to participate in meeting together. Hebrews 10.25 says this, let us not give up meeting together. Now, here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. When you stick around church long enough, you know what? It will make you want to give up meeting together. 
And the, and the reason is, is because, unfortunately, this particular organization is made up of people. And who knows, people are a pain. I mean, they're difficult, right? And there's not one of us here who at some point in our church experience didn't get hurt by somebody, didn't get let down by somebody, didn't get disappointed by somebody. And God says, I know, I know, I know. And don't give up meeting together. Because something happens when we get together. You've got to participate in that. You know, uh, there are many of us I know in the, in the kind of health fields. Uh, we've got psychologists and we've got uh, uh, mental health workers, uh, got counsellors here. Um, we've got nurses, we've got social workers, all sorts. And, and you in particular will know of a model that is currently taught across all the health sciences for mental health. And it's a Maori health model and it's called Tufara Tapafa. And it's based on this idea that in life, that there are four pillars in every person's life that, that kind of hold up our life. And they must all be in balance if we are going to be, be thriving people with good mental health. And those four areas in life are firstly the physical, uh, secondly the mental and the emotional, thirdly the spiritual, which is awesome and I'm so grateful uh, to, to, to Māori them for what they are bringing back into our health sector, the spiritual. And then fourthly is the social. We are social beings. God said it right back in the start, right? Now, he's the first one who called it. He called it right at the beginning, like the whole game's just started banging. Oh, hang on, I need to say this. It's not good for man to be alone. This particular creation does not work particularly well by itself. And we live in a society that is so hell-bent on isolating us I'm telling you, we, we need to get with each other. It's just so important for us to do that. It's something that we need to make the leap to do, especially if we've been hurt, especially if we've struggled, especially if we've done a couple of different uh, small groups and it just didn't kind of tick the box for me. And I'm telling you, well, I, I need you to try again. I need you to make the leap again because we need that. You know, lately Liz has been going through some old boxes uh, at home, uh, finding lots of cards and letters from years ago. And this is important because you don't have to love every small group. You just have to find one that works for you. So she was going through these and uh, she found a whole bunch of letters from an old youth group that she used to lead. And, you know, all these wonderful letters from these young people expressing their love for her and how much she'd changed her life and how much she'd helped them. And, and she found in amongst them also these wonderful young people's opinion on the new man in her life, which was me. And they gave me a 6 out of 10. <laughs> 6 out of 10? Like, that's barely over 50%, right? I have no desire to know anything more about her youth group. Bunch of flipping heathens. But I don't have to, because it's her group, not mine. And these young people are influenced by that. And you've got to find that place for you. Maybe it's time to take a leap of faith and step in and participate back in community again. We all need it. The third thing that we need to participate in is we need to participate in learning. You know that God expects us to learn? He expects us to be lifelong learners. And it's interesting, when you go through the Gospels, you see Jesus saying again and again things like, go and learn what this means. It's like, disciples, you've had the lesson, now I want you to go and engage in You've got to learn this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from 
me. He says to them, I've told you a parable. Now, learn this lesson. And every one of us in this place, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we need to be learning. And you know what? The older we get, if we're honest, the harder that gets because we say to ourselves, we've heard it all. And we certainly have heard a lot. But you know what? I determined many, many years ago when I read the story of Dale Carnegie, one of America's most wealthiest men, who had a lifelong principle that there was no one he met that he couldn't learn of. And people had most uncomfortable experiences with them because they would, he, he would be sitting next to a, a solo mother on a plane and uh, this old white-haired gentleman, and he'd ask her, what are the lessons that she learned in her life so far? And he would be so in, thoroughly enthralled in her story. She didn't know who he was. And then as they got off the plane, someone would whisper to her, you know who that was? It was Andrew Carnegie. Like, he's the wealthiest man in America. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm telling him my lessons? I should be learning his lessons. But I love that story because it tells me the spirit of a man who has decided he's going to learn off everybody for the rest of his life. And I want to say to us, we've got to make sure we stay in that place of learning. You see, on a Sunday morning, if we've got a speaker and I'm here, I will always take notes. Why will I always take notes? Because it engages more of my senses. That's why. I remember hearing as a young man about the psychologist uh, Jerome Brunner who said, research shows that people only remember 10% of what they hear, 30% of what they read, but about 80% of what they see and do. And ever since then, I've decided, okay, that's fine. I'm going to take notes because I'm seeing, I'm doing, I'm engaging more of my senses. I'm going to remember more of this. More of this is going to stick in me. And, and you can learn off anybody, even if all you learn is... That is awesome. I never want to be like that person. That is a very valid lesson to learn, ladies and gentlemen. But you only learn it when you come with an attitude that I am going to learn. I write things down. I give verbal feedback. Someone's your hand going, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Man, what, so good. I love that. Why do I do that? Because, again, it engages more of my senses. You know, when I do it, you know how I feel? Like an idiot. Try it sometimes. Just someone go now, hey, good preaching, Mike. Yeah, great. I know they don't feel like it is because they've been doing it for years. But you know, if any of you were to do it, you'd feel like an idiot. Like, like we don't normally do that, right? We're not sitting on the bus. We overhear a conversation. We go, hey, that's awesome. Yeah, good. I, I like that. Keep going. We don't do that, right? But actually, you know what the funny thing is, is when we do engage in those sorts of things, our learning goes deeper because it forces us to listen to what we're saying and go, do I agree with that or not? Yes, I do agree with that, and I agree with that. That's awesome. Something happens psychologically inside of us in our learning, and that is why I do that. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to build any sort of hype. I'm just, this is what I do. This is how I learn. This is the leap that I have made to engage in. And it changes my experience of God when I engage in this way. And it also changes my usefulness to God because I learn more and then I take things away that I can use again. I mean, I don't know how many times uh, I have shared at various places, you know, the seven ways God speaks. God speaks in, in, in seven ways through the book of Acts. He speaks through pictures. He speaks through peace. He speaks through promptings. He speaks through the pages of the Bible. He speaks through people. He speaks through power. And he speaks through providence or open doors. I've taught that again and again and again and again. But how many of us actually go, okay, I'm going I'm to go and learn that. I'm going to go and memorize that. Because here's the weird thing. I promise you, if you did learn it, I guarantee you within the next seven to 14 days, you'll have an opportunity to use that in somebody's life to bless them. Have you ever done that where you memorize a scripture? You just go, I'm going to memorize a scripture. You memorize a scripture, 
and almost without fail, in the next seven days, you have an opportunity to use it somewhere. See, God is looking for us to be full of resources that that he can then use. But if we're not going to make that leap and go, I'm going to learn off this person. I hate this preacher, but I'm going to learn something off him anyway. I hate, well, I'm going to learn off this anyway. If we don't take that leap to learn, then we vastly limit the resources inside of us that God can use in the world around us. Take the leap. Participate in learning. It changes your mood. It decreases your stress. Take the leap of participation in worship. It will change your emotional experience of life. Take the leap because God has called us to be participators, not observers. The third and final leap I want to quickly go over this morning, we're almost out of time, is this. It's the leap, this is a really important one, it's the leap of trusting Jesus. Now, you know what, some of you are going, hey, like, I do that anyway. Mm. Sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we trust God, <laughs> this vaguely ethereal, but we don't necessarily actually put our trust in Jesus. You know, last week we talked about taking the leap of forgiveness, and, uh, and some of you did that. And some of you tried and really struggled because forgiveness is really hard. And some of you didn't even try, even though you know there's an area of unforgiveness in your life. Why? Because you are stuck holding on to the notion that someone has to hold the person who hurt you accountable. And somehow you've convinced yourself that by you holding on to this offense, to that anger, somehow that is holding them accountable. And let me say to you what you already know. It does not hold them accountable in any way. They have no idea. They are unconcerned that you are holding on to this offense. It does nothing for anybody except keep you in a prison of your own making. And when I come across people like this, who there's something they're really struggling to forgive, really struggling to, to let go of, in almost every case the reason is this, because at the heart of it, They can't trust Jesus with that thing. Because because we're afraid that maybe he'll forget. Or we're afraid that maybe he will sort it, but not the way we want him to. Or we're afraid, even worse, that he might just forgive that person. And who will hold him accountable then? And making the leap of just saying, Jesus, I'm not going to carry this anymore. I'm going to trust you with this. Is an incredible, powerful, freeing thing and actually then allows Jesus to work in the lives of those who have hurt you. That's the real issue so many times. And if you don't trust Jesus, you don't hand it over. You don't take your hand off it. And you're bound in this place. You know, and uh, there was this one time when Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, he said, you trust God, don't you? Trust also in me. What a strange thing to say, right? You trust God, don't you? Trust also in me. They had a revelation of who Jesus was. They knew Jesus was the Son of God, that he was God. And yet Jesus so insightfully knew that it's one thing to have a general trust in God. It's an entirely different thing to have an actual and specific trust in Jesus about an issue that we carry in our hearts. I knew this guy once who couldn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he just couldn't trust that Jesus had forgiven him 
for a, a very terrible assault that he had committed on another person as a teenager that left the person disabled. And the great tragedy was is that he wouldn't forgive himself. And as a result, there were these experiences that God had from that he just couldn't step into. I, I, I once worked with a woman who was on the brink of losing her marriage, not, not here, not in this church, because she just couldn't trust Jesus with the pain that she carried over abuse that had happened to her when she was a little child. And when she finally did, when she was finally able to take that hurt and pain and trauma and hand it over to Jesus, something different happened in her life as a result. I, I remember I prayed with a very gifted young man once who actually had real demonic issues, real, like demons actually tormenting him and, and trying, like he had, kept having accidents and crazy stuff that was way beyond coincidence. And, and we, we had this encounter with a particular spirit in his life. Why? Because of his unwillingness to trust Jesus and to release from his judgment those who had abandoned him as a child. I've seen people lose years of their lives to unhappiness and a disgruntled, critical, stunted caricature of what Christianity is. Because while they trust God, they won't trust Jesus with the deepest hurts that they carry. And if that's you this morning, I just want to say to you, take the leap. Take the leap and trust Jesus with it. And you've got nothing to lose, right? Because if you do it and you still end up with the pain, you've lost nothing. But I tell you, in my experience, following Jesus for, for 25 years, following Jesus for nearly 30 years, I have found that you can trust him. And he will carry things. And he will take the load and he will take the pain. Is that a leap that you need to make today? I'm going to get the team up here now. And as we wrap this up, you know, in just a moment, we're going to take a minute for you to pause. And I'm hoping for many of us here today, commit to take a leap in one of these areas. Because your church experience and your walk with Jesus is meant to be the most meaningful, the most satisfying part of your life. And if it's not, maybe there's an obstacle that you can't get over. You're not getting over. You can't walk through it. Maybe there's a ditch that you can't get across. Maybe there's something in your life that's holding you back. And can I suggest this morning, maybe you need to take a leap of faith. So what is it for you? Do you need to make the leap of discipline? And just go, you know, I've been mucking around with this Christianity for years. It's time for me to just do it, to make it happen, to, to make myself do these things that I know will take me forward. Maybe you need to take the leap of participation and just throw yourself into it at a different level. Throw yourself into worship at a different level. Throw yourself into learning at a different level. Maybe you need to make the leap of trusting Jesus and take whatever it is you've been unwilling to trust Him with. Using the power of your godly imagination, encapsulate it, get it in your hands and just hand it over to Him and take your hands off and leave it with Him. There is healing. There is hope. There is breakthrough waiting on the other side of your leap. Maybe some of you still need to make a leap from last week. 
Maybe a leap of forgiveness or a leap of unconditional love or a leap of honesty. But as we stand together in just a moment, not just here, but as we stand in just a moment, if you are willing to make a decision like that, I would love you if you'd be brave enough to commit it in writing, put it on one of our Connect cards. There's a Connect card on your seat or on a seat near you. If you need a pen, there are pens every second or third row at the aisle. Just get someone to pass a pen along to you. And as a staff, again, this week, we will partner with you in your leap of faith. We will pray for you. I will pray for you throughout this week that as you step out into this leap of faith, God will do something supernatural with you and in you and that you will find yourself stepping into a different experience of your church life. Amen. So good. Come on, let's stand together this morning. Let me just finish very quickly by saying this. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, then you need to make the biggest leap of faith ever. You know, the great thing is, is that uh, the Bible says that God loves, God so loved you that He sent His only Son, Jesus. Uh, and that if you will believe in Him, uh, you will not perish but have eternal life. The Bible also says that, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's our sin that separates us from God, from knowing Him, from experiencing His love in our lives. But Jesus came as the way, the truth, and the life. He died on the cross to pay the punishment in your place for your sin so that you could come to that place of receiving God. And the Bible says in John chapter 1 that if we to all those who received him, to those who believed in his name. He gave them the right to become children of God. And that's such a beautiful promise. And I tell you, maybe like me, you, can, you, can, you can't just rationally work your way through that. You just got to make a leap of faith. And for me, that was in a gas station at two o'clock in the morning on Manicare Road when I was 22 years old. Couldn't nut it through, but I know I needed to make the leap. And I made that leap. And you can make that leap right now. And if that's you, I want you to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Real simple prayer. Why don't we do this right now? Take a moment. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you and you know who you are, you can feel it in here. You know God's calling you. I'd love you to pray this with me. It's a simple prayer. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. God, I have sinned against you. But I know, Jesus, that you came for me. You are the way, the truth, and the life for me. And so... God, I take the leap of faith this morning to receive you, Jesus, as my Savior and as my God. I put my trust in you. Forgive me my sins. Thank you for making me your own, for giving me a new start in life. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.